Today's Game of Thrones feedback podcast is sponsored by Canvas People. This summer, I'm sure you took a lot of good pictures, vacations, weddings, barbecues, you name it. And what are you going to do? They were posted on your Facebook page during the summer, and then that's it. And then on the same exact day a year from now, Facebook will remind you about that moment. No. What you can do is put those pictures up on your wall where you're going to see them, not the wall, like the Night's King is heading towards, but the very wall inside your home with this great offer from canvaspeople.com. They are offering special $0 pricing to try out an 11 by 14 canvas photo, normally $69.99, plus then you got to pay this shipping on top of that. But no, they are offering you $0 pricing. You just pay the shipping. It's less than $20. They're so convinced that you're going to love it, that you can try it out for free. Nicole and I have used Canvas People for the last few months. We're very happy with the results that we have. We've sent them out for a number of gifts. People think we're spending so much money on these things. And no, we're just using our offer code POST to get that special $0 pricing. So to get this special offer, go to canvaspeople.com, upload your photo, select the 11 by 14 size, and enter the promo code POST in the promo code box to get that special $0 pricing. That's canvaspeople.com, promo code POST. Game of Thrones Season 7 Episode 6 is over, but we're just getting started answering your feedback questions here on the Game of Thrones post-show recap Game of Thrones feedback show. And now, here are the two guys who are asking, hey, Gendry, are you tired? Because you've been running through our minds all day. I'm Rob Sister, and here's Josh Wiggler. Josh, sorry to put those words in your mouth, but it's true, isn't it? It's true. I can't stop thinking about Gendry. Uh, he's just been on my mind. I've been sending <laughs> ravens towards Joe Dempsey's representatives to see if they might be interested in like setting us up for a coffee date. And so far, nothing. Well, we were inundated with Game of Thrones uh, ravens and feedback and voicemail all about people wanting to talk about this latest episode of Game of Thrones as we sit just days away from the end of Game of Thrones season seven coming up this Sunday night supersized episode ahead 80 minutes just about I think it's like 79 minutes and 40 some odd seconds I don't have the exact timing on that for an episode called the dragon and the wolf Rob the dragon and the wolf okay the dragon the wolf (laughs) the dragon and the wolf what may happen when those two get together and uh really uh so many questions about this episode josh how are you holding up as we see the light at the end of the game of thrones tunnel i'm doing well i'm excited you know it's definitely a shorter burst season and it feels like there should be another three episodes here but there aren't there's just one more we're finally at the end of the road here with season seven uh i'm doing all right i'm excited i'm very excited to see where this goes i think that it's going to be i don't know you know traditionally the game of thrones are is a a season of build up to the penultimate episode and then just like kind of like a falling action you know a quieter finale that sort of summarizes what 
just happened and starts to slowly set the table for what we're going to get into in the following year. Um, certainly season six bucked that trend. I think that the uh, everything that happened with like the light of the seven back in the winds of winter, that was a really astonishing episode and a really surprising episode in the sense that it was so big after the Battle of the Bastards, which up to that point and really even still uh, is just one of the great feats of Game of Thrones was that episode. And the fact that they came out with a finale right away that was so powerful and so impactful and so, um, you know, so fast and just like filled with so much information. I think that maybe that's what we're looking at potentially here as we're as we're wrapping up season seven. Like, I think that there's still a lot that's in the air. There's still a lot of action that needs to be resolved before we head into this final six. I just don't think that there's time to slow down on Game of Thrones anymore. As we've talked about at length, at nauseum for some people, uh, you know, all of these questions about timeline and momentum and everything. I think that that's not changing anytime soon. I don't think that there's any slowing down. I think we're only speeding up. So I'm really curious to see where we're going to be leaving things when Game of Thrones ends this season. So we're just a couple of days away from finding out i'm very excited i'm pretty pumped up okay a lot to chew on after this episode where do you want to start this feedback discussion well for an episode called beyond the wall we got to start beyond the wall we got to start with all the action that was happening as these characters ventured out beyond the wall and started looking for a white to bring back to king's landing to convince cersei that this is a real threat so let's take it from jessica frey good friend of the podcast new to the game of thrones world she has left a voicemail for us about one one of the members of the party that traveled beyond the wall. And maybe this person deserves a little bit more criticism than he's been given. Okay, Jessica of House Frey. Hi, this is Jessica Frey. And I have a really quick uh, question comment. Is that the blame for this whole episode and losing the dragon to the Night King has to go on the hound, right? Why was he just throwing rocks at the ice? Why? Because of him... The Night King now has a dragon, so I blame the Hound. Team the Mountain in the Clegane Bowl. Thank you. Wow. 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 She switched sides. (laughs) Wow. The one person rooting for the Mountain. Actually, that's a good question. Are you rooting for the Hound or the Mountain? Like, for me, it just feels like it's a foregone conclusion that you have to root for the Hound. But are there people out there that would rather see Sir Gregor destroy his brother? I don't know. And the Mountain just doesn't have any personality. I feel like I liked the, you know, the Mountain just fine, you know, that when he was like a person. But Sir Robert strong doesn't do anything for me you have a, a name in common that doesn't give you like a rooting interest in <laughs> makes Sir me Robert. like him less uh yeah so it's com- it's competition makes me it's more of the rob that sucks yeah i get that i get that i feel similarly towards uh other successful joshes like <laughs> get out of here go away i don't want you in my I mean, in my world say what you will but sir robert strong has accomplished a lot more <laughs> than i have i mean that yeah, he's yeah. Uh, done many feats of strength i mean he's strong in his name uh he still has uh, a lot of uh, victories under his belt so i mean uh get him out of the picture i move up a spot in the rob rankings yeah, I know. You've been very eager to crush somebody's head like a ripe melon. Like, I know that that's just something that you've been wanting to do for a long time. So maybe maybe losing Gregor Clegane will get you closer to that longtime goal of yours. Uh, in terms of blaming the Hound for this, don't you think instead we should be blaming the Night King for not marching sooner? Because it's not like he threw a rock and suddenly the lake was frozen over again. It's more like... Shouldn't you have known that the lake had frozen over? Shouldn't you have sent like a few more test dummies out there instead of just like standing around and waiting? Well, this speaks to a bigger question that I have for you that I meant to ask you on the uh, Deep Dive podcast, but I will ask you now. 
How much of the future is the Night King aware of? Where do you subscribe to that the Night King knew all of this was going to happen? He knew that getting those guys out there would then amount to Danny coming in with the dragon and that he was able to then acquire a dragon. And this whole plot was an ends to a means to him getting a dragon. Yeah, we'll we'll get into a little bit more of that a few questions from now. But I do think it's worth talking about now is, yeah, we haven't really batted that back and forth. And I don't think that we've ever, like, said these words so explicitly. But I know a lot of people are talking about it. A lot of people are wondering about it. A lot of people are thinking it. I do think that there's some juice to the idea that the Night King is a green seer. I think that there there is something there. I think the fact that, you know, Bran had his interactions with the Night King back in season six and, uh, you know, created the circumstances that allowed the Night King to invade the Three-Eyed Raven's cave and take care of everybody there. Uh, Take care of everybody there makes it sound so much more gentle than it really was. It was pretty (laughs) rough. Uh, But I think I think that there's a there's a a great you know, there's great reasons to think that that's the case. The Night King has been able to see like when Bran is in a flock of ravens and he can tell that something is up and Bran gets scared awake. Uh, And I think that the Night King Having this power makes sense given what we know about his origin. We saw in season six in that very same episode that we're referencing in the door, we saw how White Walkers were created. We saw that the children of the forest are to blame for this, that they created a living weapon to fight back against humanity when mankind invaded the, the continent known as Westeros for the first time. And they had to fight back. And so they created these White Walkers using some sort of mythical, mystical combination of obsidian slash dragonglass and human hearts and turning them into White Walkers. So if we know that the children of the forest were responsible for creating the White Walkers in the first place, and if we know if we know that the children of the forest and the three-eyed raven, uh, many of them, if not all of them, possess some level of green sight, then it would stand to reason, I think, that the White Walkers would be imbued with this sense of green sight, or at least the first one ever made, like the prototype that is now their king, I think that that would make a lot of sense that in their quest to make this really powerful weapon that would be powerful enough to thwart mankind, that giving them that gift of the sight and being able to see things and plan and strategize and operate accordingly makes a lot of sense to me. So if that's if that's true, if that holds, if the Night King has the sight, then yeah, it would stand to reason as well that he would want a dragon and maybe he's seeing the future that the dragon is going to come or maybe he's just able to see frankly what's going on in Westeros is a pretty chilling thought that if he is able to you know see through ravens or see through weirwood trees and have a sense of what the politics are and what the climate is in Westeros that would help explain why he's dilly-dallying north of the wall and it certainly would help to explain why he would wait to launch his massive attack until there was a dragon on its way to this spot that he could then claim so chilling thoughts to consider but i i do feel like it's instructive to look at the night king as at the very least having a high probability of being a green seer here's what makes me not say that i would say the second ice javelin toss which misses if he knew every single thing that's happening every step of the way if everything went according to plan did he intentionally miss on the second javelin toss? 
I think that that's uh, that's when you start getting into like the how much of the future can they see? Like we saw in Brand's vision back in season six that he was he was having glimpses of the wildfire attack that was going to destroy King's Landing or at least destroy the Sept of Baylor, uh, but probably you know didn't really understand exactly what that was. So maybe like glimpses of the future are a little bit murkier, and really more of the power is like the ever present, like being able to see what's happening now and what's happening over there, and like you can't predict exactly what the dragon's like you know flight plan is going to be or their flight path like you're not going to be able to like aim that quite so perfectly but you can see like the ingredients that are in play uh to get danny and her dragon sorry i shouldn't be calling her danny to get daenerys and her dragons beyond like the wall exactly and into this circumstance so i think that that's more the thing is more like the ability to see what's going on in the present also we could just be like really overly explaining something right now but i like the idea of the night king being a green seer i think it's a really cool concept and just makes this guy so much more terrifying than he already is what do you think though do you think that he was this was all predestined he knew what was going to happen and, and where to be and why to attack or do you feel like that he was maybe not the best strategic mastermind in terms of attacking john and his band of suicide squad members i'm gonna take the first option just because it's better and to dwell on the other is is less cool so i'm gonna just say the night king is really awesome and has the ability to see all sorts of stuff happening all at once and then there's a theory that we'll we'll chew on in a little bit that uh that speaks to this a little more that i'm a little less out on but we can we can talk about okay um let's keep talking about john uh and and his fellows here north of the wall this is from jake erickson who wants to know if there's any significance to john's apparent resistance to the cold this is from jake when john snow gets pulled underwater i thought he was dead and that this would be the first step in josh's john snow will die again theory me too jake uh but he was able to escape with what seemed to be mild hypothermia at the worst do we just chalk this up to a close call for john or does he have a magically high tolerance for cold since he's part stark much like danny has for fire what do you think rob is john just like super averse to hypothermia We've seen John go north of the wall and be exposed to, uh, you know, extreme cold in the past. I don't really ever remember him complaining about it too much. I mean, you would think that once you go down into that ice, into that icy water, I think that then to come out and then ride on the horse for so long, I got to feel like that there's no coming back from that. It's interesting. He does have the stark blood. So uh, I think that that has to do with part of it. I mean, I remember from in some of the uh, early Catelyn chapters in uh, the first book, you know, there's talk about how, you know, the Starks out Winterfell, they never complain about the cold, but her as a Tully, you know, she was always cold there. Here's the other thing, too. Jon Snow is part Targaryen. Does he have like fiery blood that keeps him extra warm? Yeah, that's possible also where uh, Melisandre, you know, because of the Lord of Light, I mean, she never wore a jacket in the North. She said, oh, no, the Lord of Light keeps me warm. So it is what possible. What if Jon Snow this whole time has secretly just been like sweating bullets underneath like all of those furs, but he just doesn't want to be like uncool and not wear his coats you know, like he's just like, I got to blend in. Like, I don't want to make these people feel bad about the fact that I'm super warm right now. I'm just going to suck it up. 
Well, they say that there's a reason why the Starks don't do well when they go south. It's too hot. They just can't think straight anymore. Right. Yeah, they get too hot. It just clouds their, <laughs> just clouds their thinking. They're overheating. They can't handle it. Overheating. Um, all right. Well, speaking of heating up, and you mentioned him at the top of this show, so why not talk about him a little bit now? This is Sarah from Melbourne writing in. John declared Gendry the fastest of the fellowship. Curious to know your power rankings from fastest to slowest and who you would have chosen to run back to Eastwatch. What do you think, Rob? Was Gendry the decisive pick here in terms of the swiftest people in this group? Yeah, I'd say uh, Gendry won. I mean, I don't know anybody's 40 time, but uh, I'd say probably Gendry won. Uh, Close second, Jon Snow, although it'd be tough to send him back, but I feel... Is it really? I feel like Jon was the guy to send, like, thinking about that. You know, Jon is probably probably at least as fast as Gendry. We've seen John run before. He's a pretty fast dude. He's a super awesome warrior. He's the king in the north and he's the guy who's really rallying right. all these people together. Like if you're going to send one person out of harm's way as fast as humanly possible, I know that like John has an ego and it's not going to be something he's going to agree to easily. But I really think the onus was on everybody else to be like, no, 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 no. Gendry, like we could lose Gendry if we have to. Jon Snow, you're king in the north and you're kind of the lead advocate for this thing. And if we all die here and you die as well, it's all for nothing. But if you go back and you can report back, at least we still got a shot. And you're fast. You should probably go. By the way, maybe Jorah Mormont can accept Longclaw in this instance. Nobody's going to respect uh, John as a king if they hear that he was the person they sent to go run back to Eastwatch. Uh, to Craven, I think uh, the captain has to go down with the ship. Uh, no way you could send John. All right. So it had to be Gendry then. It had to be Gendry. I think John is two. And then I would say, I know he's big but i feel like that he's young and spry i actually think that torment would be number three yeah. in the uh speed power rankings i think but that it's he a big do dip it. it's a dip from from two to big three tier you know right yeah big tier Elite tier and then like uh next best thing yeah but torment for a big man i think he can move uh this is then i think then there might be another drop off after torment and i think it's probably close probably a tie between uh Beric and Jorah I think that both those guys are a little long in the tooth I think if I had to go rank them one above the other I feel like I probably have Beric a little bit ahead of Jorah who's still coming off of the grayscale and then I would say to round it out I would have the hound at six and then uh Thoros does not seem like he can move fast at all well certainly especially with the the wounds from the bear at that moment in right. time. I think right. that I think Thoros is a clear last place. But I think I wouldn't put Beric too far uh behind. Like I think that Beric just for the fact that like he's died a lot and his body is probably pretty withered at this point and just not what it used to be compared to some of these other guys. I think that Beric is probably a little bit low in the power rankings but for me. He's had a lot of pieces of him hacked out, so he's probably a few pounds lighter oh, than Jorah. That's an interesting point. You know, interesting point. Jorah's still coming point. off the grayscale, so I don't know what's the worst injury, dying six times or grayscale. So yeah, we'll see. Good question. Well, on the similar topic, Evan Raymond had written in and said, who wins the Game of Thrones to Cathalon? The Night King as the Javelin Specialist? Gendry as the extreme distance runner or someone else maybe aria remember that time when she was a free runner yeah i don't know what, what do we do what are, where where are, <laughs> <laughs> 
where are we? Where are we? Where are we where right are we now? Right now? You don't like that? You're not into that? All right, well, let's move on. Let's get back to the Night King and the White Walkers and the coolest People stuff. are losing their minds out there, Josh. They're coming to us for important information. Before before all the trauma, Theon was uh, would have won archery. Mm-hmm. All right, Night King and White Walkers territory. Let's talk about these guys. Let's take a voicemail from David Erickson, not the creator of Fear the Walking Dead, who is wondering if there's even more to the White Walkers than we are realizing right now. Let's take that voicemail. Hey, guys, David in Brooklyn. I'm just wondering, maybe the White Walkers have uh, the ability to see into the future like Bran does. They were really prepared for John and his crew. They had their spears ready. The weights held back and didn't attack until the dragons got there. And then they had the chains to pull Viserion's body out of the lake. So, I don't know. That's a lot of lucky breaks for the Night King and uh, his crew. So, maybe the Night King can see in the future. What do you think? It's very much on people's minds, Rob. Everybody is wondering about this. This was not the only person who had written in wondering about the Night King and the White Walker's ability to see either the future or just to have some sort of like omnipresent, you know, view of what's happening all across time, all across Westeros. Uh, and then this gets kicked up another notch when Jackie Tomeyer writes in, great, great friend of the show, uh, with a side by side image that is making the rounds, the rounds Howard mm-hmm. on the internet, Rob. Uh, It's a side-by-side picture of Bran and the Night King, and it shows the Night King from Hardhome with a uh, an insignia on his chest that looks to be like some sort of arrowhead type of deal. And then there is an image of Bran from this season where he has the same exact emblem on his chest. People are wondering, Rob, what about the idea that Bran Stark and the Night King are one and the same? I think it's certainly interesting. I don't know how it makes any sense. I don't know why Bran would be acting this way as the Night's King. Why the three-eyed raven, who is all-knowing and all-seeing, would go to these lengths where then even, you know, we had Uncle Benjen as cold hands involved with getting him back to safety to have Bran turn out to be the ultimate villain of the series, to me, I just, I don't know how we make that pivot. I think that for me, and I agree with you, I don't think that there's, um, I, don't, I don't think that it's particularly likely that Bran and the Night King are the same guy. I think that there's a lot that would have to happen in order to make that work. And with only seven episodes of Game of Thrones left, like there's just not enough time to, to pull that off. Uh, certainly time travel and issues of time travel. We have seen things like that on the show. We have seen that. We've talked about it already with that Hodor episode and everything. So it's certainly something that's been established on Game of Thrones at this point. Uh, I have always loved the idea of Bran Stark somehow being connected to Bran the Builder, the guy who created the wall or who is most credited with creating the wall once upon a long time ago. Uh, And Bran maybe somehow transferring his consciousness back to that moment in time and having an instrumental role to play in that. But we saw the guy who was pinned against the tree becoming the Night King. We saw that back in season six. And I don't know about you, but that dude looked ripped. And I don't know that that's Bran Stark. You know, Bran Stark, for all of his strengths, I don't think that he is one of the uh, physically more capable dudes on the show. Like He's not the guy that I would be sending into battle. And this guy just looked like a jacked warrior. That does not look like Bran Stark to me, uh, unless he's somehow zapping his consciousness into just some guy's body back in the day. Though it seems very complicated to get there. What seems more likely to me is that the Night King is a Stark. 
I could see that. Mm-hmm. I could see I could see the Night King being a Stark from once upon a time from long ago. Uh, somebody one of the original members of House Stark and this, you know, this item, this emblem that they both have is representative of House Stark in some way. I'm not great on my like uh, my Stark logos, my Game of Thrones logos, the sigils and all of that. I don't have great instant recognition for any of that. But for anyone who does, I wonder if this emblem that the Night King has and that Bran has, if that is something that's consistent with what we've seen the Starks wear before, because that's something I would track a lot more is that somehow this is like a Stark who just got twisted and ruined because we don't really, we don't really get that a lot. Like with the Targaryens, at least there are bad Targaryens on the record, but you never really hear about like the Starks that sucked, right? Like you never hear about that. You hear about the Starks that sucked in the sense that like they didn't see a blind side coming, but you don't hear about them being me. Right. You don't hear about them being awful people who want to kill lots of innocent people. Uh, I think it would be interesting to add that level of depth to the Stark family and to help, you know, clarify the theme of uh, don't judge me by the sins of the past. Like everybody has something horrible. If you look far enough into your family tree, like something that someone did that was just atrocious. Uh, And I think that that could be, you know, thematically tied in if the Night King comes from the Stark line of in some way, shape or form. Yeah, I'm expecting a big night for Bran on Sunday that he has been very underwhelming in terms of his presence in this season. I mean, he basically showed up at the wall. He showed up at Winterfell, creeped out Sansa and Arya, and that's pretty much been it. I mean, I thought that we were really going to start to explore and bounce around time after the things that we saw in season six, and we've done none of that so far in six episodes in season seven. Yeah, so I, I agree with you. I think that Bran is going to have to supply some information or do something cool. This episode coming up, it is called The Dragon and the Wolf, and Bran allegedly knows about John being a Targaryen, so hopefully he's the guy that's delivering that info. I would be, uh, I'd be a little ripped up if he wasn't. Because, I hate to say it right now, but Bran is right now in pole position for LVP at the Throners. Wow, he's LVP right there. At the he's right there. Really? What has he done? I mean, I don't even know if he's LVP at Winterfell, to be honest with you. <laughs> he's right there. To be completely he's, frank. Look, you may not like what other people are doing, but he's contributed yeah, but nothing. At least, at least he's being inoffensive. Yes. You know? so there's points for being inoffensive. Anyway, something to think about for sure uh, in terms of the Night King maybe being a Stark. And yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm waiting for, for Bran to do something. So hopefully he gets to do something in the in the finale coming up. Let's, uh, let's talk about the Night King's new mount, not mountain. Uh, let's talk about Zombarion, as Alex Kidwell is calling uh, the new Viserion. Do you like that? Is Zombarion, is that catching on? Uh... I don't know. I don't know. Let's see if it sticks. Let's see if it sticks. We'll call him Zombarion until we don't. Uh, so let's talk about this new ice dragon that is in the mix. And I thought our good friend Sir Brendan of House Fitzy had an interesting take that might be worth chewing on a little bit further. This is from Brendan. So we've seen a couple of different times in visions the shadow of a dragon flying over King's Landing. We always assumed that it would be Danny and Drogon, but with the new ice dragon in play, can we now put greater odds on that shadow being of the ice dragon Viserion and that this could happen even in the next episode? 
What do you think about that? I think that that's an image that's seared into my mind, certainly, of just the shadow of a dragon passing over King's Landing and waiting to see if something like that is going to actually happen and not just be a vision. Uh, certainly, Danny is in Westeros. She's hanging out in Dragonstone, but she's ripped all over the Seven Kingdoms at this point. Do you think that we are, you know, in those visions just looking at Danny on Drogon flying over King's Landing? Or should we start freaking out that the Ice Dragon's going to make it down that far? Yeah, I do think that that's interesting. I also uh, speculated that we might even get the Ice Dragon as soon as this week coming to King's yeah. Landing. It might be a little bit of a, of a reach at that point. And uh, I'm not talking about uh, High Garden, but... The reach. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I really uh, don't know. Here's another thing, though, Rob. There is that sequence from season two that was much maligned at the time, and even by myself uh, maligned, because it, it's really inconsistent with the vision you get in the books, uh, which is such a great scene in, in A Clash of Kings, is the visit to the House of the Undying. Right. Uh, and the show's version of it, uh, Daenerys is instead like basically resolving her baggage with Cal Drogo. It's like really not much more than that. Uh, but she does walk through the Red Keep, and the Red Keep is covered in snow. It is just winter is there, very, very decisively there. And thematically, of course, makes sense. We know winter is coming. We know that the White Walkers are an element that are in play, and that Game of Thrones is clearly driving towards an ultimate conflict with the White Walkers. But could it be a literal vision? Could it be a vision of an ice dragon is going to wreck King's Landing so badly that the Red Keep will have its roof ripped open and snow is falling, whether that's because winter is here and the damage to the Red Keep is just allowing for snow to accumulate? Or is that even possibly like the effect of the ice dragon? Could that have been an early, early, early visual promise of what's to come? Will we see the Red Keep in such bad conditions later on in Game of Thrones? You know, that would be interesting. An attack from the Night's King at King's Landing where maybe Danny ends up, instead of being the person who's sacking the city with a dragon, she is the savior of the city with her dragon and is greeted as a liberator. Yeah, maybe. You know, it's like, oh, you got hot dragons? We'll take hot dragons. Ice dragons suck. Yeah. Like, yeah, just give us some fire. At least they listen. The ice dragon is bad. Very bad. Very bad. Uh, so I like that. I think that I think that there's something there. Whether that happens next week, that feels soon. Although, I mean, it would be really... How rad would it be if the finale uh, is really just like very swift, swift, you know, damage to Westeros. Uh, and the situation just escalates within an episode. And we're left with a final season of six episodes that are almost post-apocalyptic. That could be actually pretty fascinating. Yeah. How do you take it back? Yeah. Can you put the toothpaste back in the tube, Rob? Yeah. Uh, have you ever tried that? No, I think I maybe with a funnel you could do it. Maybe I think you would actually what you would need is a smaller tube of toothpaste, I think. I think that would work. Maybe, maybe, but uh, we'll try that another time. Yeah, I mean, I tend to agree with your gut feeling on this. I think it would be too quick to happen all in this episode, but I feel like that uh, at least a flyby, a drive-by, an ice-by, I think that that is certainly on the table. All right, we've been um, we've been hung up on this one for uh, for a while, all week. Everybody has been. Or if you haven't been, that's because you're sick of uh, everybody getting bogged down in the details. And I totally hear that perspective. But this is from Buck Hondo, who wants to talk to us about the chains. We had questions about chains, Rob, and Buck Hondo 
has an idea. It's possible that the chains the whites used to pull the dragons out of the water were anchor chains. There are probably a lot of icebergs in the sea near Eastwatch, so there are probably a lot of shipwrecks that the white walkers could have had the whites salvage for their white walking purposes. Maybe they had the chains initially to pull the gate at the wall open, like Mance Raider tried with the mammoth, but when the dragon went into the water, the white walkers repurposed the chains at that point. Just a guess. Uh, on top of that, I, I'm, I'm not going to be able to credit the correct person, but I remember somebody uh, drive-bying on Twitter this week saying, they're this from the shipwrecks in Hardhome. You know, there were ships there, and they got the chains from the, from the shipwrecks in Hardhome when they wrecked everything in Hardhome. Or even just, like, pulling stuff apart from Hardhome itself. So were they carrying that stuff around, or they went and picked it up? They went and picked it up, probably. Or maybe they, you know, maybe they've got it. A lot of people also making the Hardhome Depot joke. I, I don't know. I mean... It's bizarre. It seems like that it was just something that they wanted to do to get a shot for the episode to have the Night King put his hand on the dragon and have its eye open in that way. And you couldn't have done that if he was under the water and they just raised him up. So it just seems like a means to an end to try to get a shot that they wanted. So it's not a big deal. Like we shouldn't get worked up about it. But then also like don't bend over backwards to try to explain like, what are you talking about? White walkers always have chains with them. They're always carrying chains. They're always chains carrying cool. like uh, two miles of like heavy chain. <laughs> All right. Well, we don't have to. We don't have to chain ourselves to this one for too much longer. Uh, let's talk about Uncle Benjamin. Robert Craig wrote in. Do you think we'll see Benjamin Stark back again next season as a white or as a White Walker? Do you think that that was it for Benjamin? I kind of feel like that's probably got to be. That's that's a wrap, right? I don't think we're seeing anybody that we've lost uh, north of the wall coming back as a white in you know any future episode. I don't think we're going to get Hodor. I don't think we're going to get Uncle Benjamin. I think this. Is just, I could see Hodor still. I could still see not that. Time for like, that. We don't need. That, oh, how hard would that be? Like if the White Walkers invade Westeros, and if they make it as far as Winterfell, and you need to have like some harrowing, horrifying moment with Bran, and suddenly he's. Con- confronted with a zombified Hodor and this kid who has been acting really tough and even saying I'm not really Bran Stark anymore is suddenly confronted with the harsh reality of yeah you are Bran Stark and you're responsible for this lovable lug being a zombie killing machine right now and then that's when he becomes the Night King Mm, I guess I guess that could be it (laughs) or like somebody just like burns zombie Hodor alive instantly and Bran's like oh that was so terrible okay I guess I'm ready to be a person again I feel like at the point where Bran is at Winterfell and whites are kicking in the door I feel like that Bran is dead at that point all right, you ready for this? Yeah. Planting a flag. Zombie Hodor in season eight. I'm calling. Okay. It. It's going to happen. All right. Look, you are way more tapped in than I am, but I will take you up on that uh, gentleman's bet. Fair enough. Uh, what do we get? What You have to hold the door for me every time we go anywhere, if I'm right, uh, and vice versa? Let's, uh, let's see if we can come up with, uh, with something. I think that maybe the loser needs to uh, treat the other person to... Uh, how about an, another round of Plated.com, Josh? Uh, oh, the sponsor like for this episode of the podcast. Although I guess that would be somewhat low stakes because, uh, one, you'd be getting to eat delicious things like steaks, and then I would be getting a Sweet deal of 50% off an order of plated.com when you go to the link plated.com slash post. Josh, what did you cook up from plated.com this week? 
I got the orichetti and Italian sausage with the summer squash and the sage brown butter, and it was it was delightful. It, and it came together very quickly. That was the big surprise because again, I said this last week. I'm a total idiot in the kitchen. You could also just have removed in the kitchen from that sentence, and I don't know what I'm doing most of the time. But the the ingredients they do come uh, easily prepared. Like you just have to do some chopping and some knife work, and you just gotta follow directions very plug and play, and it comes together really easily. So I was pumped. I was very happy. Yeah. Yeah, we got plated.com as well this week, and uh, my lovely wife prepared uh, steak gyro. How about that, Josh? Uh, I believe it's actually euro. A euro? <laughs> That's what it is? Yeah, like, I used to get into like euro Greyjoy. Like my, with my college roommate who would always correct me. It's actually euro. Oh, my God. All right. Well, this yeah, changes so you've everything. You've been saying it wrong for years, Rob. All right. Yes. Well, Plated.com, each week they've got 15 chef-designed recipes to choose from. You can travel the world to find culinary delights. Plated recipes are inspired by cuisines from around the globe, like Malaysian fish curry and lamb shakshuka from Morocco. They do all the grocery shopping for you and they send you the exact amount of each ingredient. They're sourcing out quality ingredients like artisanal mayo. Yes, they have that and it comes in its own glass jar. Uh, the best way to spend time with your family is preparing a meal. Plated.com has got you covered. And if you have a sweet tooth, Plated even offers dessert options like no-churn coffee ice cream and cinnamon rolls. You no longer do you have to send Gendry out to the grocery store to pick something up and then wait for him to get back. That Plated.com is bringing everything to you, uh, not by Raven, but it, it's so fast you'll think it was by Raven. You'll be craving Plated. Discover your you like idea. Yeah, I did like that. Discover your ideal okay, experience. Yeah. Go to Plated.com slash post to get 50% off your first Plated box. That's 50% off for a limited time only. Terms apply. See plated.com slash post for details. That's at plated.com slash post. All right, Josh. I really want to know more about that no churn coffee ice cream, to be quite honest with you. Okay. Plated.com. Check it out. I'm interested. I'm interested. I also thought maybe that the terms of the bet on the Hodor thing were going to be that the the loser has to carry the victor for a day. (laughs) Oh, wow. The Hodor. The Hodoring. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, we'll, we'll put a pin in that and we can I would love to hear what everyone has to think about that. I feel like zombie Hodor. That's that's got to be like they love Christian there. They're going to they're going to bring that guy back if they can. Uh, moving on. Let's talk about Jon Snow He'll once again from Jackie yeah. Tomeyer. He'll get a spinoff. Uh, Jackie Tomeyer writes in about Jon Snow. When's it going to be revealed that Jon is a Targaryen? I'm so, so looking forward to that. Is it going to be this season? By all accounts, will Jon be in King's Landing for the final episode? And is that where it's going to happen? What do you think? Is there any way that we close out season seven without the John Targaryen reveal? Well, I know people bounce around like it's nothing on Game of Thrones, so it's possible that John could stop by Winterfell on the way to King's Landing. Is that possible that we find it out there? Or do you think that John is just going right from East Watch to King's Landing? I think that we'll probably be at King's Landing very quickly in this episode. I think this is a season that has proven that it does not want to spin its wheels too far. Like maybe a pit stop in Dragonstone to like pick up Tyrion and everybody. But even that feels like kind of uh, a waste of screen time. Then again, it's 80 minutes. It's a long episode. I, I think that this is the longest in Game of Thrones history. I can't imagine an episode that went longer than 80 minutes. Yeah. Uh, so maybe there's time to like 
do a pit stop in Dragonstone on the way to King's Landing. I feel like that would be a poor use of time um, unless there's a really great scene there. And then I'll eat my words on uh, on Monday or Tuesday when we record the deep dive. But I think that, yeah, I think that we probably will get everybody to King's Landing fairly swiftly. Yeah, I do think that John will find out in this episode. I just don't know exactly how we get to that. This will be a, a real sore subject for me if we get through all of season seven. We revealed it at the end of the season six finale and we've gone out of our way to not reveal it to john through all of season seven i think again with the name of the episode being the dragon and the wolf i think that there will at the very least be confirmation to the audience of the Rhaegar side of this but everybody already knows that so it's frustrating we don't need if, any like, more the, confirmation i know i agree i think it's frustrating if the writers treat that as a big reveal i think it's frustrating if the writers treat the the Rhaegar side of the equation as like well you you found out last season that John's mother was Ned's sister, but you didn't know who the dad was. And now you know who the dad was. Like, if that is the extent of the reveal, that's going to be remarkably frustrating to me. And it's going to be a demonstration of the writers really underestimating uh, the intelligence of the audience and the Wikipedia access of the audience. <laughs> like, I feel like that would be a really, really bad move. And I think that there's there's some shows, uh, not to name names for fear of spoilers for other shows outside of Game of Thrones, that in the past year even have really been accused of that, of like the audience can getting ahead of the show, uh, getting ahead of the twists. And this would be like a really egregious version of that if there isn't the next move of this whole thing being letting John know that he's a Targaryen. Like, it's not enough for the show to spell out John is a Targaryen and for that in and of itself to be a big reveal, especially with the Gilly moment from earlier this season where anyone who's been tracking any of that now also has the other shoe that's dropped that John is a legitimate Targaryen. If that's just, like, spelled out and treated as the reveal, that's going to be highly disappointing for me as well. Okay. Um, but to stick on the subject of Jon Snow and where he might travel in this episode, Brianna Hendrickson wrote in, uh, now that we know that Jon Snow is going to be at the summit in King's Landing, do you think that he's going to make a pit stop in Winterfell on the way? I'm getting impatient for an Arya and Jon reunion. Perhaps we would get an Arya and Gendry reunion, too. Also, shouldn't Jon be telling the Northerners that he's agreed to bend the knee to Daenerys before he represents them in King's Landing? So what do you think? Is there any shot that we see Jon in Winterfell in this episode before he he makes it all the way down to King's Landing. Or are we just going to yara yara past? Yeah, that? I kind of feel like that now that we've talked this through, that he most definitely will yara yara past it because when John returns to Winterfell, it sort of like lets whatever air was in the dramatic balloon between. Arya and Sansa, John coming Wait, home. The, just, the heir to the Iron Throne is in a balloon. Yeah, yeah, and that's crazy. It all just like uh, like Arya comes back and then tells John that like uh, like Sansa is trying to undermine you. Uh, no, I'm not. And then they all just sort of like are able to talk things through. You would think. So I think that sort of like the uh, crux of the conflict between Arya and Sansa is this battle for you know what's right for Winterfell while John is away. Yeah, I see that. I think that makes sense. Um, I think that like a John and Arya scene that could be as far off as season eight 
uh, I would not put a lot of uh, a lot of stake in the idea that they're going to interact in this finale. Euro. I think it's enough. Yeah, stake Euro. I don't think I don't think uh, uh, John is the Euro of this whole show, but I don't think that he's going to be uh, the guy who's delivering a, a reunion with Arya in this in this week's episode. I think it, we've gotten enough uh, Arya in Winterfell action already this season. Okay, um, let's talk about the fire side of the Song of Ice and Fire equation. Let's talk about the dragon side of the dragon and the wolf. Let's talk about Daenerys. And this is from Jonathan Smith, who points out something interesting. You have to wonder why we're being made aware of the fact that Danny has no succession plan. Let's call her Daenerys, Jonathan. Mm-hmm. Uh, why have Tyrion bring it up in this week's episode if it's not going to be important to the story at some point? We've also wondered when John is going to find out that he's a Targaryen and if there would be conflict with Daenerys over who is their rightful heir. And we're being set up for a storyline wherein Daenerys is killed. And while everyone is trying to figure out who's in charge now, John finally discovers his true lineage, setting him up for the Iron Throne. So if Daenerys is dead, there doesn't have to be a messy custody battle over the throne between John and Daenerys. What do you think? Is this Chekhov's succession plan? Well, I'm not sure exactly what Jonathan means by Chekhov's succession plan, because I think that at the moment that John finds out he's Targaryen, then I think that he becomes the immediate successor. I mean, is Tyrion going to start to say, hey, no, I'm the hand of the king, so that, hey, Dothraki army and Unsullied and dragons, now follow me as I take on my sister and I'll sit on the Iron Throne. I think the thing about it is like it's it's messy, like theoretically in, you know, on paper, John should be the heir to the Iron Throne. But like who's necessarily going to believe all of this to be the case? Like who's going to take the word of an ancient text that Gilly just happened upon? Like who is actually going to believe that John is the heir to the Iron Throne? And if that comes up and then that becomes the messy custody battle. But are we being set up for the fact that it's not even going to be an issue because the show is pointing out that Daenerys does not feel that she is capable of having children. Uh, that is what the prophecy said. And there is the question of the Targaryen line of succession. If Daenerys wins the Iron Throne, who sits on the Iron Throne after her? So the fact that that's even on the show is it being put on the show to get us prepared for the fact that Daenerys is not going to be a factor ultimately in the long run of Westeros, where she's going to die at some point before Game of Thrones completely wraps up. And maybe we have our gateway towards John being the guy, John being the person who is going to sit on the Iron Throne. My feeling on that is, and I've, I've said this before in these podcasts, I think that there's been a lot this season that is really setting us up for the fact that Daenerys is in for a rude awakening if she thinks that she's going to be sitting on the Iron Throne. And I think we saw that rude awakening here and beyond the wall where she's reprioritizing, where she's now refocusing her efforts on what actually matters. And that's the grave, uh, the grave threat that's facing mankind and the White Walkers and all of that. But I think with like the, the, the self-righteous like announcement of her titles and the way that she was talking in the Dragonstone Chamber and the speech that she's giving on the battlefield in the, in the loot train battle, which I keep trying uh, to stop calling the loot crate battle uh like i i can't stop i like every time i'm writing an article i at least write loot crate once before it's loot train and they're not a sponsor of anything right now so um so yeah so i think that we're being set up for the fact that daenerys is in for a hard fall uh was losing viserion the hard fall was that enough it certainly was a hard fall literally and figuratively 
is that the end of it or is there further to sink? And I think that there is. I don't think that Daenerys is going to walk out of Game of Thrones alive. And I don't think John is either. So I think that this whole point is ultimately going to be irrelevant. Wow. To lose Danny and John, I don't think I've really uh, thought about what that would look like ultimately for Westeros. Yeah, I don't know about what it looks like for Westeros other than, and I've said this before, like I think that, you know, the bittersweet ending is like there is some version of Westeros still standing, but society has has to change dramatically. Like the people who were fighting for the Iron Throne and really thirsting after that sense of power are probably going to be out of the picture and you're going to be left with like people like Sansa and people like Sam. And I think that like you're going to be you're going to be left with people who now are like smart enough and experienced enough and hopefully wise enough or at least good enough to maybe start putting the right pieces in place. And I think John and Daenerys, rather than their destiny being ruling Westeros, I think that their shared destiny is saving Westeros. And I think that them dying in the process of that and not being around to enjoy the spoils of their victory, uh, I think that that seems, to me, that seems dramatically satisfying and just feels like the way that we're going. But we'll find out. We certainly won't find that out by next episode. John and Danny are making it to the final season for okay. sure. Okay, good. They better. They better. They better. Uh, all right, so we're always shipping John and Danny. Let's talk about a different ship. This is from Nick Malpietti. Tormund made it through this episode alive and even said he wants to make a giant warrior baby with Brienne of Tarth. With so much fan service happening, what are the odds that we get the two of them to hook up? And what's the official couple name going to be? I like Tarth Bane. Tarth Bane. <laughs> Tarth Vader. Yeah. Uh, I think that people have... Uh, I like uh, Bremen. Everybody Bremen. loves Bremen. I think Everyone loves Bremen. We've been here before. I don't think anyone has come up with like a consensus name for this ship. So who knows? I don't think that there's ever any real shot of Tormund and Brienne getting together. Especially that she went to King's Landing now. So even if he comes back to the north, then they're like uh, ships passing in the night. All right. Well, speaking of which, let's take this from John Ottaviano, who has a question about that exact plot development regarding whether Sansa or Brienne should be going to King's Landing. Why is it imperative that anyone goes to King's Landing, especially without sufficient backup, like a couple of dragons or several thousand unsullied warriors? What would be the consequences if they ignored the request? Yeah. So why are we sending anybody to King's Landing in the first place from Winterfell? Yeah, I mean, Everything with this storyline is uh, confusing and really sort of like stretches the limits of uh, what is Sansa up to? Because I, you know, I thought that she was like plotting against Brienne by doing this. I mean, why would she do this? Why send a representative there? Is that just to bide time to sort of like, okay, well, Cersei, if I send Brienne down there, then maybe she won't be so quick to come up here and kill me. Maybe. I don't know. Again, I'm also very confused on this, but there are possibilities here that I have not really been considering myself. Uh, Bobby from Jersey writes in, is it possible that Arya and Sansa are actually manipulating and plotting against Littlefinger? A lot of people, Rob, talking about 4D chess going on here where it's it's not just Littlefinger who sees every possibility and every single thing and is prepared for every development but Sansa and Arya are also seeing every possibility and what they're fighting for uh, to to fool the audience like to fool Littlefinger when he's not even in the room I don't know Uh, if it turns out Rob that Sansa and Arya have some sort of bait and switch in mind where they've been playing Littlefinger for a while 
I'm going to really have to rewatch the Winterfell scenes, which I'm not looking forward to. And on top of that, I don't think that I like that as a storytelling trick on Game of Thrones. I feel like one of the things that Game of Thrones and certainly the books uh, excel at is perspective and like being inside the head of your character when you're in a scene with them. And if we're in scenes with Sansa and Arya where they're talking around an issue that we don't know uh, that they are both in on, like if they if that whole terrifying scene between Sansa and Arya where Sansa discovers the many faces in Arya's satchel and they are talking around like this plan that they already have established to get back at Littlefinger isn't that really crummy like that really sucks like that feels like that feels like 24 you know like that feels like a different show that does not feel like game of thrones game of thrones doesn't pull those baits and switches so i guess you wouldn't be looking for it but i wouldn't want to look for it i wouldn't want something like that on game of thrones that's too i don't know that's too cute right this isn't house of cards stop it exactly this is fake news uh no way this is happening i'll plant my flag on this all right i'm i'm with you i think that they're just i think that they're just writing some yeah, I think that they're just writing these characters in a way that's uh, not working for some people. Certainly working for others. Uh, certainly we got some feedback. We're not going to get into all of it in terms of the people that are really enjoying the Winterfell storyline. But it's just it's completely over my head right now. I'm just really not enjoying it. All right, let's start wrapping up by heading to King's Landing alongside Much Brienne like season seven of Game of Thrones. Indeed, indeed. And let us check in with your friend and mine, the great Steve Davis, who has a question about Jamie Lannister and what Jamie might be thinking of a certain king in the North. Let's take this voicemail from Steve. Hey, guys. Steve Davis calling in. This may not be on anyone's radar, but I'm very excited to see Jon Snow reunite with Jamie Lannister. They only had one scene together back in the second episode of the series when Jamie was a true villain and Jon truly knew nothing. Jamie chides John by essentially saying the Night's Watch is a joke made up of a bunch of rejects. Jamie goes on to tell John how strange it is to cut a man for the first time, and since then, John goes John goes on to kill countless people and walkers, while Jamie has done the opposite by losing a hand and learning to take more of a leadership role. Since Jamie respects warriors, what's your take on him seeing the new Jon Snow? And will Jamie try to convince Cersei like Tyrion did Daenerys? Thanks. I'm really excited about this. I got to be honest, this is not a pairing that I've given much thought to, Rob. Is Jon Snow and Jamie Lannister hanging out? Like, it's not really some something that you think about in terms of, like, the character possibilities. At least not, like, one of the first ones that come to mind. But Jamie and Ned Stark had it out for each other. Those guys did not get along. Uh, Jamie kicked the crap out of Ned. Uh, you know, he, he did not like that guy. Ned had no love for the Kingslayer because he was the Kingslayer, even though his actions helped save King's Landing. Ned had no interest in the dishonor that he brought upon the Kingsguard. Uh, so I'm very fascinated with the idea of Jon Snow, of, of Ned's adoptive son, at least, uh, being a guy who is going to interact with the new and improved, quote unquote, Jamie Lannister. How do you think that's going to play out if those two characters get to meet? It'll be interesting. I mean, you have seen Jamie try to, you know, keep his word that he gave to Catelyn to protect the Stark girls or at least uh, get them returned home. So 
Uh, I feel like that he probably has uh, some better feelings than he did at one point where his Starks were sort of like number one on his hit list and a lot of stuff has happened to Jamie since that point and he is not as anti-Stark as he once was. And John, I think it's hard to be, you know, real. I mean, John is not a rude person. He doesn't like throw around a lot of insults. So I do think that there's a chance that he could warm to John. I would love that. I think that that would be that would be great. I'm I'm excited for Jamie to like get on the White Walker hunt. You know, like one of the things about Jamie Lannister is he's been kind of spinning his wheels on Game of Thrones for a little while. Uh, you know, we have we had the the quick redemption arc for him in season three. There was some reversing of that redemption arc as soon as season four. Mm-hmm. There was the whole side trip to Dorne in season five. There was everything in River Run in season six that's just kind of forgettable uh, more than any anything rather than you know being outright offensive it's just kind of whatever uh and he has the great loot train battle here i said it loot train not loot crate uh you know he's able to to come out of that unscathed he sees a dragon he understands the magnitude of what the the lannisters are facing in terms of the targaryen firepower he's going to hear about what happened to one of the dragons and that's going to give him some perspective on if these things can take down a dragon then that's not nothing you know that's something that's worth taking seriously and as much as he doesn't particularly care for Tyrion these days, I think he values Tyrion and it respects Tyrion. And if Tyrion is taking this seriously, then Jamie's going to take it seriously as well. Cersei is another matter. Like, what is Cersei going to do once she has all this information on her radar? I still think that she is that ambitious Lannister that is only going to be like half heartedly in on the plan and is always going to have one eye on the Iron Throne. But Jamie is a character that I could see being all in on the White Walker battle. And that would be great. That'd be a really great way to start of, uh, you know, to sort of close out what was a really great redemption arc for him that was being set up earlier in the show. And it's kind of just, if not outright fizzled out, then it's at least kind of just been really lukewarm for a few seasons. But now. where do you think that we ultimately leave this, that we end up with seeing sort of uh, the white Cersei is like, what, not impressed or is like, okay, well, I'll, you know, I'll give you... 500 troops or it's like okay well sure let's have this truce for now and then what yeah then then what is a great question you know and i wonder if part of this pitch is going to have an answer built into that or if that's going to be like the big question of like I don't know. We figure that out when this is done. Um, that'll be fascinating. But certainly, at least Cersei is going to be thinking about that, if not John and if not Daenerys, who are uh, understandably preoccupied with what just happened beyond the wall. I think at the very least, Cersei is always going to be the one who has one eye on the Iron Throne and is always going to be back pocketing a plan for how to hang on to that power. And we've underestimated her constantly, and that has been a mistake. So it would be a mistake, again, to, to underestimate her once more. I think that Cersei is going to screw something up really badly before this whole show is over, uh, but not before she agrees to, to help out at least for a little while, to play ball for a moment I or mean, two. could it take that appearance of the Night King on an ice dragon to really get Cersei to say, you know what, now, now you've caught my attention. Okay, this is a real clear and present danger. All right, let's let's cooperate on this. How awesome would it be for Cersei to meet the Night King and just get White Walkerized immediately? And she is now the White Walker Queen. Mm -hmm. Right. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome to see. I would like that. I feel like Lena Headey and White Walker get up would be uh, that would be bad. Sure. Josh, are we getting the Clegane Bowl this week? 
No, 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 no way. Cool game balls and game end material. game. That's going to be, that's going to be like a real satisfying final season episode. I mean, I guess the, the, the ingredients are there. Uh, you know, the elements are in place. The, the hound is leaving the North as of the end of beyond the wall. You assume, uh, that he's probably traveling down to King's landing unless they're just done with the character. Uh, but I feel like you, you're getting the hound and the mountain in the same place. It'd be fun. It'd be fun. That'd be a great, unexpected surprise of this finale but i i feel like it's uh like that's a that's like a final note for both of those characters like if not the final note then the penalty well, what are we waiting for, for i mean there's only seven episodes hype, left in this hype, show. hype hype build up the hype yeah okay i think we could see it hype, i hype, think hype. we could see it yeah well, i want to see yeah. it i'm looking forward do to you think it. that we end up with when we have you know john and danny in one place that uh cersei ends up with doing some sort of a uh trap like was it a sneak attack there was she like sick the lannister army on them while she's there man uh if that happens then it's immediately all-out war and that's all-out chaos and we have uh an all-out war is being reserved for a different show about zombies so i don't know i, I don't feel like that's something that we're going to get into this week but maybe um yeah, I mean, I th- that's what, you know, Tyrion is weighing that possibility out on the show this week and beyond the wall where he's talking to, da- to, da- to Daenerys and saying like, yeah, you know, it's very possible that there's some sort of plan that we're walking into, but, you know, we kind of have to take the risk. So I feel like it's out there on the show almost to like dispel the notions that there's going to be some sort of trick. I think there's a trick in the making. I just don't know that it's going to be as soon as this week. Okay. All right, Josh, anything else you want to touch on before we get to the season seven finale on Sunday night? No, the only one uh, last kind of fun thing to chew on from Cal Skolsky, who wrote and said, with all the dragon skeletons in the Red Keep, could the Night King reanimate them to create a horde of zombie dragons? Cersei might have a surprise waiting for her in her basement. LOL. Hmm. Boy, that would be something. I mean, we've really established the dragon skeletons this season in a couple of scenes. Some of them are headless. I mean, skeleton dragons just like rummaging around Westeros would be so dope. Mm -hmm. I don't think that it's particularly likely, uh, but it would be so much fun. Like, I think that those I think the fact that those things are so long dead and lacking any kind of functionality, uh, it's hard to imagine them just like sort of like being upright and flapping around but maybe that's why in season four they they brought those skeletons to life in the first place is like to prepare you for the fact that like really really super super dead things can be reanimated not off the not completely off the table but i'm not ordering it thank you very much (laughs) all right uh we will see ultimately what happens uh josh uh what do you think of the hashtag young hodor for When we maybe that so, that'll be one of the flashbacks, so like, or then could set up like a backdoor pilot for one of the HBO spinoffs where we get Hodor, he can then narrate it just like Jim Parsons does on Young Sheldon. Sure, <laughs> let's give Hodor the Young Sheldon treatment. That sounds like uh, that's certainly a theory. I don't know if it's the Big Bang theory, but it's mm-hmm. a theory. Hashtag Young Hodor. All right, and we will see exactly. It's just called Willis, though, isn't it? <laughs> no, Young Hodor. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> young Willis. So it, it's he's already Hodor. He's past being Willis. He's just a younger Hodor. That's right. That's right. All right, uh, okay. Josh. You got anything else coming up on the Hollywood Reporter? 
No, a bunch of interviews that are up there already right now. Interviews with Ian Glenn, with Christa, uh, Christopher Hivju, uh, with Richard Dormer, with Alan Taylor, the director of this episode. And all four of those guys in a separate piece weighed in on what we can expect from the finale. So I thought that that was a really nice story. Uh, but no, other than that, we're just... Uh, we're bracing for the storm, Rob. We're getting very, very close to the end of the line okay. here. Uh, we'll see. Josh, has George R. R. Martin commented at all about season seven of Game of Thrones? I saw a story today that he did an interview with Metro where he said that he's too busy to even watch oh, season seven it. of stop. Game of Thrones. Stop, yeah. stop it. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's, got, he's got too much to do that he can't even watch the adaptation of his, uh, of his precious novels. I don't know. I don't know if I buy it. Don't know if I buy it. I feel like at the very least he's got the time to do it. He's he's created time in other places, so uh, mm-hmm. I would be surprised. I'd be surprised if he's not watching. He's got at least one eye. He's also I, there's 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 rumblings, Rob, of the winds of winter maybe making its way in 2018. Like he has seemingly been the guy who's like out there being like, if I had to guess right now, I think it's going to happen in 2018. Mm-hmm. The fact that he's even saying that this is a guy who who hates to promise this kind of thing, cautiously optimistic. Cautiously. Yeah. Okay. Uh, can he finish this in two books? Yeah. It's, I mean, look, if this show was able to finish things in uh, in 13 episodes after we left season six, you know, it's not super impossible. I will say, you know, Game of Thrones is catching a little bit of heat for taking shortcuts, for moving really, mm-hmm. really fast. There are some people who are thinking this is just kind of like the streamlined blockbuster action movie version of Game of Thrones. And before this season started, I think there were a lot of people scratching their heads and wondering, like, why would George R. R. Martin even bother finishing this thing if we're just going to get like the spoilers for how he's ending the story from the show? I'm starting to think more and more. There's reasons for George to finish this thing. I'm starting to I'm starting to come around on on the books coming out and the books being yeah, finished up. Okay, so maybe this was sort of like the uh, kick in the butt he needed to get these finished. Yeah, I think okay. so. All right, well, Josh, uh, can't wait to see how it's all going to play out. Stephen Fishback and I will be live once again about uh, 10.30, 10.35 p.m. Eastern time on Sunday night for your first word in Game of Thrones post-show recapping. And then uh, Josh and I will get into uh, the deep dive and the feedback show later on. And maybe we'll even talk about what's coming up in our off-season spectacular, The Throners, and who is going to be up for awards in this shortened season of Game of Thrones. Maybe even rumblings about what's beyond the throne. Wow. Rob. So a lot of stuff. How about that? A lot of stuff to get into How about that at for the beginning of a uh, potentially busy Game of Thrones offseason. All right. Josh Wiggler is on Twitter. He's at Round Howard. I'm at Rob Sister. Josh, anything else? Nothing. Not a nope. Yep. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. <laughs>